Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Lindsay S. Nixon from GetMealPlans.com. And I have exciting news. I'm starting another podcast, the Meal Mentor Weight Loss and Nutrition Research Podcast. Each episode will discuss a book or a study I've read, what it means, and how you can incorporate those teachings into your life to reach your potential and goals as fast as possible. Basically, I'm doing all the reading and researching so you don't have to. Maybe I should have called it the shortcut to health. But anyway, here is the first episode, or sort of. What I'm about to say will be in a blog post on happyherbivore.com later this month, just in case you want a written copy. But for now, here it is in the Meal Mentor podcast, and pretty soon, of course, you'll be able to find more episodes for my new podcast. One year ago, I blogged about how the plant-based diet made me an overeater. I titled the post, How the Plant-Based Diet Made Me an Overeater, Parentheses, it's not all you can eat. Plants don't have magic calories that don't count, plus my before and after pictures. And the title will be the same with an addition of revisited with more honesty, because I'm going to get real. A lot has happened since then. After the post, hundreds, and I'm really not exaggerating here, but hundreds of people sent me an email saying that my experience was their experience. I feel like I am so similar was a common phrase. Here's one of those emails. When I first went plant-based, my weight dropped beautifully for the first 40 pounds. Then the weight loss stopped, so I cut back a little more and I lost 10 more pounds, but then it just stayed there. No matter what I did, it just stayed there. All of these people who were emailing, including myself, we all hit this weight we couldn't move past. No matter how plant perfect we were eating or how much exercise we incorporated, the scale would not budge. For a lot of the people I talked to, and I'm included in this group, the barrier happened at a lower weight, meaning our weight was in the normal or healthy range for our height, but we still had visible body fat. And I'm not talking about vanity fat a little here or there. In my case, my stomach was still hanging way over my pants, and I had painful just chafing and rashes all over my thighs and my arms from constant rubbing. I wasn't comfortable physically, and of course, I didn't like how I looked either. So I had my body fat measured. I was at the tippy top end of what was considered healthy, even though I was at a healthy weight. You have a really high percentage of body fat for your weight. That's what the technician told me. But before I can continue this story, I need to first explain how the plant-based diet made me an overeater. And don't worry, I'm not blaming kale. The plant-based community puts a lot of pressure on being perfect. I saw this in the vegan movement too, though in a different way. With vegans, your membership card was revoked if you ate a hot dog or, in my case, used the wrong hand soap. In the plant-based movement, there became this attitude that anything that was wrong with you was your fault for not being perfect. If you weren't losing weight, for example, it's because you weren't being perfect. You were eating oil or sugar or too many nuts or not enough greens or cheese. And that's not entirely untrue. You can do any diet or lifestyle wrong, and it does come down to diet, as in what you put in your mouth, with weight loss, which I'll talk about in a minute, but it's also not as simple as eat this but not that to lose weight. 
plants do not have magic calories that don't count. I'm sorry to be the one to burst the bubble, but that's the truth. So how did I become an overeater? If you read any of the plant-based diet books, attend a conference, or watch one of the films, you get the impression that you can eat as much as you want. As long as it's plant foods and particularly whole foods close to nature, you don't need to count calories or pay attention to portions. Some of the experts say exactly that outright, while others, it's kind of more of a hidden message. For example, they might share a recipe on their blog or Facebook, and some commenter would inevitably ask, well, how many calories? What's the nutritional information? And then they would get a response that you don't need to focus on calories or portions when you eat this way or something to that effect. Monkey see, monkey do too. Rip Esselstyn once bragged to me that he ate 22, 22 of his burgers in one sitting. Another time I had lunch at Forks Over Knives office and they fed me, I'm really not exaggerating here, over 40 oranges and at least 100 strawberries just for lunch. They kept piling more fruit on my plate, rattling off something about how it's mostly water and I needed to eat more because it was only fruit. I stuffed myself. Another time I told Jeff Novick I ate a whole bag of frozen cherries for a snack. Was that too much? And his reply was, you ate only one? I have so many stories like this. And then there were the conferences where I witnessed these experts getting plate after plate of food. Huge mounds of food on their plates. The one time when I stressed concern that I had overeaten, I'd had three plates of food at that point, I was told not to worry about it. You can't gain weight on this food, was what they told me. But I did. Point is, I was under the impression, and based on all the responses I got from my post last year in the emails and just in talking to other members, it appears many of you were too, that we thought you can eat a lot, that you should eat a lot, eat as much as you wanted, eat until you felt full. So I did. I ate and I ate. I quickly developed a habit of having four plates of food at a meal, all the while patting myself on the back for being so healthy. For example, I would eat four to six bunless bean burgers plus a huge gorilla salad and two to three potatoes that I cut and baked into fries for dinner, and I would still have room for a few bananas to be blended as ice cream for dessert, and I would probably still have another snack after that. After my original blog post, I got this email from Forks Over Knives. For the record, it is not Fork Server Knives' position that anyone can eat all they want on a whole food plant-based diet and maintain optimal body weight. Our position is one should eat until comfortably satiated. The email also said if I ate lower calorie foods, I didn't need to control my portions. What is comfortably satiated? I'm serious, guys. What is comfortably satiated? I have never found this comfortable satiation ever. My stomach has exactly three settings. One, I'm hungry, as in I haven't eaten in a really long time and I'm hungry. Two, I've eaten, but I could still eat more. Three, oh my God, I ate too much. I can't move. If this sounds familiar, you're not alone. It's normal. In fact, comfortably satiated doesn't exist for most people. Scientists still haven't figured out what makes us feel full. 
It seems to be a combination of environmental clues, thoughts we had before eating, how much we smell and taste our food, how long we've been chewing, how much we ate yesterday, and a whole medley of other factors. Point is, we don't stop eating because our stomach is full, except in very rare circumstances like Thanksgiving dinner. Brian Wansink, PhD, out of Cornell like Dr. Campbell, has spent his career studying this very topic. Why do we overeat? What makes us feel full? And so forth. Of all the important life-changing lessons Wansink has taught me, nothing has been as impactful as this. He writes, short of eating until it hurts, most of us seem to rely on size, the volume of food to tell us we're full. We usually try to eat the same visible amount we're used to eating. That is, we want to eat the same size lunch we did yesterday, the same size dinner, the same size popcorn. We don't stop eating because our stomach is full, except in very extreme cases. Wansink then talked about how even when we think we can't possibly eat any more food, when the dessert comes out, magically we have more room. This is where I admit I became an overeater. Mostly because I got used to eating a lot of volume. Some of that came from those eat all you want messages, some came from chasing this comfortably full illusion, and some because I just didn't know how to structure my meals or build a meal that was satisfying, satiating, and calorically correct for my biological needs. Now this part you all know. When I started using my meal plans from GetMealPlans.com, I finally broke my weight barrier. I got past that weight, and I lost an additional 13 pounds, bringing me to my lowest weight since even before high school, and I've maintained that weight now for three years. I need to pause for a second because I'm still amazed it's been three years. I was such a yo-yoer before. And when I post this on happyherbivore.com, I'll put a really nice before and after picture up for you guys. I know how much you love them, but most of you have probably seen my abs on Instagram. But I've digressed. In the past, when I gained weight or I couldn't lose weight, I blamed my lack of perfection. After all, that was sort of the message. I blamed the occasional oil or vegan junk foods, and sure, these foods were not doing me any favors, but it wasn't the sole culprit. Because even when my diet was beyond perfect, and there was this point where I'd eliminated all sugar, all salt, all oil, all alcohol, and I even got rid of pureed foods like soup or hummus or applesauce, I was basically only eating whole fruits and vegetables, I still didn't lose the weight. I still didn't break that barrier. And then I started to gain weight. I gained seven to eight pounds in three weeks. At that point, I had to have my coming to Jesus moment, and I came to accept that I was an overeater. So to lose weight again and to keep it off for three years now, I had to come to terms with how much I need in a day and that it can't be a free-for-all, at least not for me. I have to pay attention to total calories and portion sizes too. And the meal plans make it really easy on me since everything's already planned out. And you could do it yourself or you could do it with me. But one thing I want to emphasize, especially in today's podcast episode, is that a calorie is not always a calorie. Yes, weight loss is physics, the law of thermodynamics. You have to consume less energy than you burn, create a deficit to lose weight. And that can be accomplished in two ways from input or output. 
side note. In helping thousands of meal mentor clients lose weight, I find the input side is the easier strategy for most people. You have total control over what goes in your mouth, and it tends to be easier to say stop drinking wine than to suddenly start waking up at 5 a.m. and going to the gym five times a week. But anyway, not every calorie is nutritionally equivalent. And intuitively, you know this. You know that 100 calories of carrot cake isn't the same as 100 calories of carrots. And not every calorie is absorbed the same way either. For example, calories from pre-digested foods like smoothies or highly processed foods like Oreos are absorbed much more easily than whole foods. Meaning you might not even absorb the full bioavailability of the calories in an orange, but you're probably going to absorb every last calorie in a Dorito. And this echoes what Dr. McDougall says about oils being easily converted to fat in the body. The whole, the fat you eat is the fat you wear. And he's not wrong. From your lips to your hips is very real, except that it doesn't apply only to fats, according to new research anyway. And two, not every calorie satiates the same way either. And this part we've all experienced anytime we ate a donut and then we're suddenly starving an hour later. But even whole plant foods vary greatly in satiety. This was one of my biggest problems. I was eating healthy, perfect foods, but they weren't satiating me. So I would eat more looking for that elusive, comfortably satiated dragon, all the while resetting my volume expectations, or apostat as I like to call it, short for appetite thermometer, to hungry, hungry hippo. And this is another reason why I finally lost weight with the meal plans. They didn't just teach me calories and portions. They taught me what a meal needs to look like to actually satisfy me, how to combine nutritious foods to feel satisfied so I don't overeat or feel deprived. There's also new research that cooking methods, gut bacteria, the composition of food, and even our genetics determines how many calories we actually absorb when we eat. And FYI, some people absorb calories more easily than others. It's not purely about differing metabolism as we once thought. I follow all of this research obsessively. And after my blog post last year and hearing so many other people struggling the way I had, I decided to get down to the bottom of it, figure out what was going on. I've read an insane amount of books and studies. I've talked with and listened to dozens of experts in a variety of fields from Wansink, who I mentioned a little bit earlier. His research is all about how the environment makes us overeat, to people who study feces and gut bugs. I've uncovered a lot. And that's what I'm going to be talking about in upcoming episodes of the new podcast. But briefly, so you have something to take away today, what I've come to understand is that any diet works for weight loss, provided that diet creates a calorie deficit. It doesn't matter if you're low carb, low fat, paleo, vegan, or eating only tacos. Now, you might feel like garbage on an all cupcake and tequila diet, and that diet might put you at risk for other health issues like hypertension or cirrhosis, which is why I still advocate a whole food plant-based diet all around. You might as well do yourself a favor. Plus, not all calories are the same, remember, so it's not a straight math formula anyway. 
But the reason why I lost weight beautifully in the beginning was because although I was overeating, there was still a deficit compared to my prior diet. And even though I was also physically eating more volume than before, the total calories were still less because bean burgers have less calories than cheese pizzas. However, as you lose weight, that deficit window gets much, much smaller. There's little margin for error, which I learned the hard way. And two, a lot of us don't realize that when we lose weight, we also have to lose the amount of food we're eating. It shrinks along with us. Many of the people who reached out to me after my original blog post joined Mill Mentor, started using the meal plans, and broke their barriers as well. My story continued to echo theirs, just in a good way this time. Even those that didn't join but started practicing some form of input control had success too. Bottom line, it's not about being perfect, though making good choices certainly makes it easier, just like it's a lot easier to run a marathon if you quit smoking first. The plant-based diet works, and it works for a lot of people. Part of why it works is because the foods can be low-calorie, creating a deficit without volume deprivation, but there's no such thing as calories that don't count either. So that's the basis of where this new podcast is going to go, and I hope you're as excited as I am. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who nerds out about this stuff, but I found all of this research to be liberating, if not empowering, and so that's what I hope to impart with you. So get ready for the new podcast and all this great research and tips on diet and weight loss and changing our mind with cognitive therapy. Meanwhile, if you want to learn more and get on the meal plans that definitely changed my life, visit GetMealPlans.com. This Meal Mentor podcast will be back next week with another member sharing how the meal plans and the plant-based diet changed their life in remarkable ways. And the new podcast is coming soon, so stay tuned on all those accounts.